Hi, thank you for joining us on one of the most comprehensive podcasts devoted exclusively to family offices, Family Office World. I'm your host, Ron Diamond, Chairman and CEO of Diamond Wealth. We represent 100 single family offices ranging in size from $250 million to $30 billion. I've been the keynote speaker at dozens of family office conferences around the globe and have spoken at over 150 family office conferences in the past five years. I'm in the process of writing a book on family offices and have consulted with dozens of firms who want to work with family offices, including banks, accounting firms, law firms, philanthropies, and various service providers who want to know what it takes to get in the door and then add value to the family office community. I serve on the board at Stanford University and teach courses in their graduate business school, engineering school, and entrepreneurship program. I chair the Chicago chapter of Tiger 21, the investment group for enhanced results with 750 members worldwide, representing assets in excess of $75 billion. And I serve as the chairman of the advisory board for four privately held companies, as well as serving on the advisory board for six public and privately held companies. Family Office World takes you deep into the inner workings of family offices. Each episode will have a different expert who works closely with family offices. Our goal is twofold. One, help family offices become more institutionalized and connect with each other directly throughout the country. And two, help service providers navigate the best way to add value and ultimately have family offices as clients. Please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Well, I'm thrilled today to have uh, Jeremiah Baker. Jeremiah is both a friend and also one of the foremost authorities in the country on cybersecurity. And in the family office world, which is the world I live in, um, cybersecurity has become more and more prevalent. And whereas previously people were being very defensive, it looks as if we're starting to see a little bit of a shift and uh, some of these family offices are starting to become more offensive because of all the breaches that happen with companies like Equifax and Yahoo and Target and Home Depot and Sony. So if they could hack into those companies, it's probably not too difficult to hack into a sophisticated family office. So my first question for you is, what are the biggest challenges that you see with cybersecurity in family offices today? Thanks, Ron. First, just thanks for having me. And I, I really do appreciate it. And I I look forward to our, our talk here today. And, and just for your listeners, my, my hope is that I can provide some examples and advice um, from my background of being hired to essentially hack into businesses, um, ethically, of course, by them, and show them their weaknesses and how to uh, repair those findings so that uh, folks can better prepare, be prepared, prepared to protect themselves uh, from the cyber threats that we're that we're seeing today, and and, and to really get into your question, the, the biggest challenge that I see is that things haven't changed or progressed um, fast enough uh, to keep up with what cyber criminals are doing today. Going all the way back to uh, 2010 or so, about a decade ago, um, saw the same very similar things. And the biggest challenge is that I keep hearing, well, we aren't a target. Uh, the hackers don't, we don't have anything that the hackers want or we're not big enough and things like that. And the truth is, it's the furthest, furthest thing from the truth. We are all targets, uh, all of us here on this call, um, every organization, and, it, and it's being proved daily uh, in the news and even, you know, just in the experience of the phone calls that I receive um, in that 
there have been so many data breaches where our usernames, our passwords, our personal identifiable information has made it out onto the internet, out to what's called the dark web, which is where essentially the bad guys hang out and broker and trade our data. And they're using that data. Um, they're just looking for the weakest link. Um, they're not going for the hardest, heaviest hitting technology things to break into companies like we see in the movies where it's very exciting. They're literally running massive attacks on the internet to find the weakest link. And then once they find a way in, the majority of the time, they will use that to then do their, their ill bidding, their, their, the bad things that they're doing. And, and the truth is, just to set the stage here, is that to, to prove the point, over 90% of all the breaches recently started with a phishing attack and primarily via email, not a technical hacking bit. So I, I would, to answer your question uh, clearly, the problem is that we are all a target and we need to start thinking as if we are and start better understanding how we are being attacked. And then and only then can we put the proper defenses and measures in place to protect ourselves. And the good thing is there, in my experience, the majority of the bad things that I see happening from wire transfer fraud to ransomware to email account takeovers and things of this nature where real damages are being done can pre be prevented with some simple cybersecurity best practices. And, and I will share those um, on, on this call today with your listeners, Ron. Yeah, I had, and you were very helpful. I had a situation where somebody took over my email account and then people would respond to me and then I would respond to them, but it wasn't me responding to them. It was the hacker. And it's just a horrible feeling. You feel completely helpless. So yeah, uh, it, it's just a terrible thing. So let me ask you this. Why do criminals target family office? I mean, what do they want? Sure. Well, going back to your last point, um, that is what they want. When, when they come after, one of the most common things is the uh, email account takeover, as it's called. And if it's okay, I'd like to just share a few stories just to set the stage on kind of how real that is. And that would be great. That would okay. be great because mine was a nightmare and it didn't right. have that big of an impact, but I'd love to hear them. Sure. And this is one of the most common uh, crimes, cyber crimes that's happening uh, today to folks. And, I, and it really, it, it genuinely just, right now I have goosebumps. It makes me feel terrible to see it happening because there are some simple things that can be done uh, to prevent it. And yes, Ron, I'm very happy that the damages weren't uh, as aggressive as they could have been because I've seen much uh, more serious cases happen with actual uh, monetary loss from this happening and reputation and things like that. So one of the things that's common uh, for family offices, corporations, for all of us, is just for a moment, if we think about it, what if someone gets a hold of our email, especially in a business sense, uh, in the sense where they are able to log in and pretend as if they're us, where the, the your your contacts don't know that it's not you because we kind of trust our inbox. When I see an email come from you, I'm not necessarily always second guessing you because we've exchanged emails before. So we know each other. So they take advantage of what's called that context or that relationship, that trust. They, they will go out. And like I said earlier, they, they, it's easy to access usernames and passwords and they will test them across the web, especially if you use web-based uh, email login, which many of us do like Google and office 365 and things like that. They will then find a victim where they can actually get in. They enter the username, they enter the password, and they are literally into the account and they, they can start doing their magic. And, and what they oftentimes will do is they'll sit for a while 
and they'll understand things like how are these folks doing wire transfers? How do these folks operate business? And a lot of times they will go after a pretty heavy target, like a CFO or someone that has authority to be able to do wire transfers and, and, and things like that. And in one example, Ron, um, I received a call. I was going to a speaking engagement in Boston. I, went to I landed, went to grab a bite to eat for dinner. I received a phone call and the caller uh, told me, Jeremiah, I think we just lost. It was just about half a million dollars. And uh, so I instantly ran into an alleyway where it was a little bit more quiet so that I could, could listen. And essentially what happened is the attacker was able to access the CFO's email account. And I will not share any information here. It's, it's very sensitive other than just speaking about this generically, just so that folks can, can have an idea of what happens and, and how to protect themselves. I, I just want to make that clear. It's, it's very, very serious and very important. Um, but what they did is they were able to get into the email account and they sat for a couple of months in the CFO's email. And then the CFO went on vacation and set an out of office notification. This is when the attacker knew that the email account wouldn't have been monitored very much as you, as you can probably imagine. They went in uh, and sent two wire requests uh, for about $250,000 a piece. The money went to uh, two LLC, two businesses within inside the United States and then instantly offshore um, to where we, we couldn't, you know, you can't, you don't have jurisdiction, you can't really get to it. And that's another point is that a lot of these criminals, if you look at the FBI's most wanted, they are not inside the United States or North America. They're in areas where we really don't have the ability to do a whole lot, if that makes sense. So what they're doing is they're sending, they sent the money out, out of the country and a third request was about to go and somehow the CFO luckily caught it and was able to claw that back but the other two, it took a lot of work to stop that. And that is one of the most common things that the cyber criminals are doing today is they're going after those e business email account takeover, as it's called. And they want to do things like that so that they can learn trade secrets. They can understand who's in the organization. And then there's actual old fashioned bank robbery is what that is. Um, they're stealing the money and they know that they can get away with it. And it's a, it's a really, really bad problem. I believe that the, the FBI had reported they're estimating, and I believe this is underestimated that the, um, the, the, it's about a billion dollars in loss, but I think it's multiples of that just from my experience, but I don't have just from what I see, uh, with our clients and, and if it adds up, you know, pretty quickly. So the good news is if it, if it's okay, I'd like to, you know, kind of continue and, and kind of share with folks how this could have been prevented um, based on our experience. So the reason that folks were able to get in is there's something called two-factor authentication on our logins, or at least there should be. And that's where, and this is a simple fix that could solve a very big problem. And I'm convinced that it would have, would have prevented this. So what happens is when we log in, if we just have a strong password and, and our username, a lot of folks think they're safe, but you're really not. Passwords can be cracked. They can be stolen, as we've seen with all these data breaches. And, and there are websites that show us where our accounts have been part of a breach. So if someone just gets a hold of that on the dark web or their friend just tells them about it, and another bad guy to another bad guy, they can fairly easily get into accounts. But if you set up one more layer of defense, which is... Currently, it's called two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication. And many of your listeners may have experienced this. It's where you enter your username, you enter your password, but you can't log in 
until you get one more code sent to you. And the most common way right now is that code gets sent to your cell phone in the text message. So the bad guy would also have to have your cell phone and your phone number and all of these things in order to get that, that uh, two-factor authentication code. But what it does adds a layer of defense. So even if someone has your username and password, they're still not getting in because they don't have the two-factor authentication. That's really easy to do and also cheap, right? Yeah, it is very easy to do and it's very cheap. But one word of caution is that there, there is some issue with the having the text-based two-factor authentication is far better than not having anything at all. But there have been advancements made to where, you know, there is an issue and, and where um, folks can go into uh, your cell phone account and do something called a SIM swap, and which means they can take over your cell phone and then they, can, they could receive your text messages. But the likelihood of that happening, um, you know, on a, on a grand scale, it, nothing is impossible and it should be protected against, but it can be done. So that's why folks like Google and there's another company, there's several of them out there, but they offer um, more of an authenticator code that runs either on an app on your phone um, or a device, like a, like a key. And then that key would generate a random code for you versus it coming to your text messaging. But the one thing that I recommend everyone do, because it is the easiest, is on all of your accounts, not just your email, like sit down, go through this exercise, make a list of all your important accounts and add two-factor authentication to the accounts because it's going to dramatically reduce the ability for someone to get in. But then as time goes on and you want to harden your security even further, you can explore those things, which are even stronger forms of multi-factor authentication. And they're even going into heavier areas of biometrics and you know, reading multiple aspects of almost like your character to do that multi-factor authentication. So things are getting better and better, but yes, I would recommend everyone add two-factor authentication to all your accounts and to enforce it inside your organization. Do not let anyone go without it. Got it. So we hear a lot about phishing attacks these days. So what are the best practices for family offices to, to defend against them? Sure. Yeah, phishing is still, it's still, and I don't see it ever going away. Um, and, and to describe it for folks that aren't necessarily familiar with it, many of us have seen it in our inboxes, email, text messages, phone calls, people calling, claiming to be bank representative or something like that, asking for your your info. But really what it is, phishing is when someone malicious sends you information in an event where they're trying to trick you into either clicking a link, giving up personal information such as login credentials, getting you to click through to, let's say, a page that looks like your bank login screen, but it's really not. It's a spoof page, and they're asking you to put in your, your username and password, and then they're harvesting that username and password, things like that. So going back to kind of what I'd mentioned earlier is that, again, most of the breaches and attacks are being delivered, 90% of them started with a phishing attack. So in my opinion, it's, it's the most common thing that, that we see and I see daily. Um, and the best way to prevent, a, to prevent it is there's really not one single way, but there are multiple simple ways that we can do that. And first off is really just becoming the best line of defense in your organization. So being very cautious of any link that you receive, any attachment, uh, literally don't just click on it. Uh, think of it like this. I don't trust any link. I don't trust any attachment that I get. I want it to be run through, you know, anti-malware, antivirus. 
Um, I want to validate, uh, is this something that's real? I'll pick up the phone and, and call someone that, that supposedly sent it to me if I know them. Um, I know it's a little bit of extra work, but just kind of thinking in that mindset of becoming the first line of defense for yourself and for your organization goes a long way. And then that kind of waterfalls into other things where there's something called security awareness training. And what that, what that is, is it's just very structured training that organizations are, are finally starting to do actively. And that is where you get trained on the most common methods of phishing. And it's done in a way where you are essentially attacked. You're, you're not aware of it. You're, you're, your employees, your staff aren't aware of it. But it's done in, in a good way. It's a live training event where phishing gets sent and then it gets tracked and reported um, back to, a, to the central uh, platform so that you can see how well your employees are doing. And truth be told, I think that the stats on that are about on the first phishing test that we do, about 30% or so of the staff almost always falls victim to the first test. And then what happens over time by continuously doing the security awareness testing and anti-phishing testing is that people get smarter and smarter and smarter, and they become less and less likely uh, to become a victim uh, to the phishing attacks. Um, but that being said, that's the human side of it. And that's really what most of this is. It's bad humans attacking good humans. Um, there are tool sets and there are things that we can do since email is really still the most prevalent way that phishing attacks are being attacks are being delivered. There are things that can be set up such as email filtering, uh, anti-malware detection, anti-phishing detection. It checks against databases essentially in simple terms. It checks against known attacks and lets you know that this looks a little shifty, like don't click the link or report it back up to your to your IT staff and, and they can quarantine it and things like that. But it's really kind of like layers of an onion where first and foremost, it starts with us and understanding the attacks that are being used, being very cautious of links, of opening attachments, of giving up information that we're asked for, and just always validate, always authenticate, and then attach these tools to help reduce the amount of those threats that actually make it to us. And that, that's really um, what we all need to be doing. And the problem lies in that most organizations have never been trained and they're not even aware of what this is. So when the attack comes in, it's literally like taking candy from a child. It's not difficult um, for the attacker. And, and just to kind of bring that point home, in one of our engagements where we were hired to kind of do this in a test, we were able to essentially fish the person that hired us, which is a very talented uh, IT person, a cybersecurity person, through a social media phishing. Uh, attack that took about, I think it was about a month that, that it was played out. But he essentially ended up going through a whole exercise where he clicked the link. He thought he was being invited to a, a concert from this fake social media profile that, that we connected with him on. And, and that was weaponized link that we knew he had administrative rights to the network. And by clicking the link, it gave us command and control over his uh, energy company's network. And then we stopped the exercise. So it shows if those folks can be compromised, any of us can be, and no one is immune to it. But if we think like a hacker, we can beat a hacker. But that comes from being very diligent about, you know, really getting the mindset of, I want to know how these things are happening so that I can prevent them happening to my organization and, and better protect ourselves. All right. So you talked about how to prevent phishing attacks. How do you protect against ransomware? Is that different? Well, it's, they kind of go hand in hand. Most ransomware is delivered via a phishing attack. 
So it is one of those links or one of those attachments that we get. And that's what the bad guys, the cyber criminals are really looking for us to do is to click that so they can affect with ransomware. And, and again, just to speak in plain English, the ransomware, what it's designed to do is to lock down all the files and, and, and computers and devices and things like that oftentimes inside the organization so the business can't operate. Then you will get a message that shows up on your screen saying, hey, uh, you've been infected with this. Uh, if you give us this much money, um, we'll unlock everything for you and you can go on your merry way and continue business. Now, one story that happened and uh, recently that, that is just really not good is on a Sunday afternoon, I got a call saying, you know, hey, our company in Florida, fairly large organization, all of our files are locked and they're demanding $500,000 in Bitcoin in order to uh, unlock and let us run. Um, and I asked them, do you have data backup? They said, we really don't have uh, clean, frequent data backup to recover fully. So they immediately rushed to try to pay the ransom. Um, and again, this is you know half a million dollars. And then the thing is, you don't know, you're going on pure faith. If I pay that, will they unlock it? And then if I unlock it, what says they're not gonna try to say, well, we actually want a little more now, we thought about it. So I've seen things like that. So again, those are the things that are happening. We just saw, I believe it was uh, Gartner was in the news, the, the GPS, you know, the watches and things like that. They, they, they suffered an attack, but it's happening all the time. It's, um, it's extremely frequent. I, I, I believe the number is from what I've seen in a cybersecurity ventures produced a report and they said it was about every 40 seconds a business is being hit. And that number is actually increasing. I, I think they're projecting it to be around every 14 seconds in the near future. So that being said, there are a few things that we can do. Obviously, there's technology that can try to help prevent it before it gets to the inbox or into the, into the, uh, into the network and things like that, which is, it just should be there like gravity, like breathing should have it. And, and most IT security professionals will, will understand that. The second part of it is having very frequent data backups. So, and having those backups uh, offsite so they're not part of the network, meaning if you get infected with ransomware in your network, it could easily go into the backup where they're stored and then lock them there as well. So you wanna have it properly set up. And then one of the things I don't see enough people doing, even the folks that are backing up, they're not doing an exercise, a live exercise like we do with anti-phishing and things like that. You wanna test your backup. So you go through a mock exercise every so often saying, oh no, we're you know essentially we're locked and we can't do anything. And then the staff will go through recovering all the files to see how quickly you can get back up and running. And that's a really good exercise for folks to do. So in simple terms, it's really having the measures to try to prevent it from coming in in the first place. Then it's having your very clean offsite backups done so frequently that you can recover them and be back up and running without having to, to pay the, the ransom. And so what are, what are the, the, the top ways then that, that cyber criminals are attacking? Are, are, how would you define that? How do you describe that? Sure. Well, going back to it, just from the statistics, the, the, the main way is our email inbox is just, it's terrible. <laughs> That's where they're going. You know, 90, again, 90% of all the breaches start with a phishing attack, most attack most often an email. And then, you know, there's things like text messaging uh, attacks. There's a voice vishing, voice calls. Um, and then anything else that you can imagine that they can reach you on, they're, they're trying to do it. So it's, it's really phishing is the big one. Uh, then ransomware that we, we discussed. Um, and then there's another bit, which is, is kind of nasty as well. And that's denial of service attacks. 
that's where folks will kind of hit or hammer your, your website, your business, for example, with so much traffic that it cripples it and it can't run. But the good news is there are certain services and things like that that we can plug into that kind of distribute our hosting that, that prevent that from happening. Um, so it's really phishing. It's ransomware. It's uh, social engineering attacks, which is where people are you know, trying to trick you into doing something, even getting into an office. Like recently I heard where, where an attacker got into an office and took a highly sensitive piece of equipment that was being developed. So there's things like that, but that's, you know, that's lesser on the scale. And then what they're doing with these attacks is they're trying to take over our email accounts so that they can do the wire fraud or, or so that they can send out and distribute uh, more malware or ransomware out to our contact list or to social engineer our contacts. If we have high, uh, ultra high net worth people or very um, authority, people with authority in our contacts, that's literally a honeypot for these folks once they get into the email. So those are the big things. And then smaller on the scale, you know, there are things like where, where people are trying to very target very specific people and breach them remotely uh, through what would be called traditional hacking or intrusion. But it's further down on the scale compared to the magnitude of phishing and, and, and all the ransomware and denial of service attacks and, and all the wire fraud and just old fashioned con artistry is really and scams that that is that is what we're seeing. And that's what the that's what the data is showing today. And like I'd mentioned earlier, the good news is a lot of that stuff, I would say, just kind of pulling a number out of air here, but I would say 80, 90% of it could have been prevented in the cases that I've seen with some very simple things like the multi-factor authentication, two-factor authentication, uh, very strong password and frequent password um, updating and creation, uh, keeping making sure that everyone doesn't reuse passwords. That's the, you know, literally the, one of the worst things you can do. And I've seen it year after year working with clients where we end up compromising them and the password administrative password to their network had not changed. So you want to use things like a, what's called a password vault. Like there's some tools out there, one password and last pass, and, and there's several of them, but what they do is they lock your passwords into a, a tool that allows you to use them across all your different, uh, login areas, bank, uh, email, things like that, and access them, but it keeps them safe versus you reusing the same password over and over. And you can have a separate, that way you can easily have a separate password for all the different accounts you have. And then that combined with two-factor authentication really puts some good layers in place to prevent people from, you know, using those attacks to get into your value data and, and to run those scams that they're running. Now, it's interesting because, you know, if, if Equifax and Yahoo and Target and Home Depot and Sony can get hacked into, I mean, who can't? So what's interesting about what you do is companies will actually hire you and say, we've got a really good system. See if you can hack me. And if you can hack into them, they'll, they'll, you'll help them. Um, when they do that, are, do you often get a lot of people surprised? They, they, they'll do it as a, a way to insure like a double insurance, but then they realize you actually can hack even though they don't think you're going to be able to do it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. There usually is a level of surprise uh, because it goes back to, I think a lot of folks um, just out of human nature have, have kind of, in order to deal with this, it's a very complicated thing and it's a very scary and threatening thing with cybersecurity. And I think a lot of folks have, the way they, they kind of internalize it and deal with it is to think it's not going to happen to me. Um, truth be told, we haven't really met an environment with enough time and resources that we can't breach. And that's across hundreds and hundreds of companies from wait, multinationals. Wait you, you're saying that, that in, in almost any company that, that 
you go into, mm-hmm. you that you feel you can hack into it. Yes. Okay, With enough that's... time and not, you know, not really like tuning a horn here. It's just, that's the, that's the nature of cybersecurity right now. And, and even from the bad guy's perspective, right? So with enough time and enough energy, anything can be uh, hacked into or penetrated. That's why you really have to be able to think like a hacker and to beat a hacker and follow that methodology. And it has to be so ingrained inside the organization and then the proper uh, things be put in place because that is, you know, the, the testing is one portion. The ethical hacking is one portion of a cybersecurity kind of portfolio of, of defenses. And that is to kind of touch on your point of why folks do it. Some folks do it to meet compliance. Uh, for example, Target uh, did it to meet PCI compliance um, so that they could, you know, take credit card payment and all of these things. And many folks do that. Then it, it supports the requirement for something called HIPAA compliance in the medical space. And it's all around compliance, but then there's the actual protective aspect of it. Compliance and security aren't really the same thing. And I think a lot of folks are kind of historically have been a little bit hiding under the idea, well, we were compliant. I don't know how it is that we got hacked. And the truth is you can get compliance without getting, you know, real quality in terms of of the service. So um, some folks do it for compliance and then many folks, in a good way now are doing it for protective measure. They want to know how they're going to be breached before it happens by the bad guys so that they can go and strengthen or secure all of those areas where they were, their network or their web applications were penetrated during the, the hacking exercise and then fix it and then have that firm come back and uh, retest the environment to make sure that they did shore up or secure the environment so it's harder to be attacked. So it's one portion of a security hygiene uh, and a security portfolio that that companies are doing. That's amazing. And you know, if if you look at that, what they can go in, let's just say now we've, you know, the audience here are mostly family offices, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And some of them think they've done, spent a lot of money and they've got great, do you, could you confidently say that if somebody were to hire you and, and they said, or somebody like you and said, hack into my system, you feel confident you would be, you would be able to do it, which means a bad actor can do that. Yes. Um, and to clarify that it is do that is simply not just out of uh, you know, kind of pulling that out of thin air. It's because of the way that the process is done, the initial diagnostic work and all the environment is, is kind of um, very similar to a medical field where you have to run diagnostics first and get an accurate measurement of what's called the attack surface. And that's the environment that exists all the things that exist in the environment from computers to websites to, you know, all the items that are there. And then once that diagnostic is done, it gives a pretty clear picture of all the things that are in the environment. Sometimes you can quickly find out that there is something glaring in the environment that uh, could be compromised and breached. And then there are other times where, you know, in your history of doing this for so long, you have a method for compromising that particular software, that particular defense mechanism that maybe no one even knows about other than a a couple people in the world, but you do because you've breached it before. So you're kind of bringing a set of tools with you that are a little bit proprietary, you know, in in the process and and, and understanding. Um, But that being said, I mean, there's even been cases where the diagnostic process has been done and it was glaring that, for example, a very large hotel chain, which, which won't be mentioned, um, was 
mapped them, looked at their, their attack surface and found that there were some issues, known issues with their um, payment card machines. And we highly suggested that they, that they uh, repair those and really take a look into it quickly because it was quite susceptible to attack. Um, they decided against it. And then in three, about three months later, I received a Google alert and got a Wall Street Journal article showing that, that, they're, that, that they'd been hit with a malware attack on those payment card devices and that they suffered uh, an attack, a breach. And, you know, things like that can be, could have been avoided. And that still this day gives me goosebumps because just for such little effort, it could have been avoided, but it wasn't. So going back to that, it really is a mindset that, yes, everything can be breached with enough time, enough energy, enough smarts, but we can also do things that are not that complicated and easily kind of uh, applied uh, that will help prevent 80, maybe even 90% of these bad things that are, that are happening from the breaches, from the phishing attacks, from the malware, the ransomware, the email account takeovers. A lot of those things are just simple solutions that could prevent that. And then the small percent where people are doing really clever things, that's where the real security professionals on your team or your third-party providers can you know, do their work to prevent those things. But again, most of the attacks are not happening from those high threat, like very Mission Impossible movie kind of script things. It's, it's 90% are starting with an email, a phishing attack. Most of the family office, most of the audience are family offices on, the, on this podcast. What can they do to protect themselves from becoming a victim of cybercrime? I mean, just walk them through or walk me through what can they do? Because if, if they can hack into Equifax and Yahoo, I don't care how much uh, money these family offices are spending. Um, they're not spending as much money as Home Depot. To answer your question, Ron, what, what can be done uh, today? And I think this will block or help prevent rather 80, maybe even 90% of the things that are happening that we discussed, such as email account takeovers, where people get into your email and, and act as if they're you or someone in your organization, uh, phishing scams, wire fraud, uh, wire transfer fraud, um, getting access to your passwords, uh, ransomware, and, and the things that are really causing trouble uh, today can be done with some basic uh, measures put in place. And, and the first one is to, I just recommend that everyone, if you don't have some form of multi-factor authentication on your login for your email, your bank account, all your important accounts, get that set up so that there's an extra step where you have to get that extra code uh, in order to log in. You can't just log into your account with a username and password because given all the breaches that have happened, a lot of us have reused our passwords and they're out there and people are able to get a hold of them and just access your account. So you want to get that multi-factor, two-factor authentication um, set up. You want to, um, for, to protect against ransomware, you want to make sure that you have your email filtering tools in place and, and anti-malware and anti-phishing um, tools that will check for known uh, cases of that to help prevent the amount that actually makes it to each of each of your staff members and to yourself, and then you want to have um, the your data backed up because if you get hit with ransomware and you don't have your data backed up where you can access it properly and just restore, then you're kind of stuck and and you may have to pay the ransom just to get your business back up and running. And that's what I've seen the majority of the time is folks didn't have effective um, backups of their data that they could quickly restore. 
or they hadn't been doing it frequently enough where it was a little bit outdated. So it kind of still hurt the business, even if they were able to, to kind of restore. So you want to have that. Um, you want to have proper password management and uh, password vaults in place so that you can make sure that you're not using weak passwords, your staff members aren't, and that you're able to store them all uh, effectively, safely, and then to be able to change them often. That's a really good thing. Um, security awareness. I really want to have security awareness in your organization so that you know how people are phishing you, how they're attacking you, and then you can better protect yourself from it. Because if you don't know how you're being attacked, there's no way that you can spot it when it comes in the wild. And it's no wonder that people are still clicking links. They're still um, downloading files. And, and just a general rule of thumb, even without any training, just don't click any link and don't download any file and, you know, without fully exhausting your options to authenticate that it's real. Don't be so quick to click, click and so quick to open. Be very judging of everything that you see because that is the main way that these bad guys are trying to uh, trick us according to the data. Um, so another, another bit that is, is very useful as well, since, and this is more of a, a current thing, is that most corporations will access their uh, systems via, uh, when they get on the internet, via something called a VPN, a virtual private network. And what that does is it essentially encrypts your connection uh, from your computer to the, to the files at work to prevent things like what's called man in the middle attacks and kind of taking of the data as it goes from the internet, from your computer through the internet and things like that in, in plain English. And most corporations will have this uh, set up. It's a very simple thing where you connect to the VPN and then that's the only way you can get through the internet to your files. And with so many people working at home, it's just a good measure to have and it's not very costly to do. It's one extra one extra step. But um, those are the big things that we can do. Um, the, in the last bit that we talked about, really where money is being taken, it's, it's ransomware and wire fraud. And with wire fraud, you really want to have a process in place where you don't allow wires to happen so easily. There has to be multiple steps, multi-factor authentication in the chain of the wire transfer um, so that it can be caught. Even if someone does get all the way through to being able to send a request, uh, the process will then be one more layer of defense to stop it uh, from going through. Because unfortunately, what I've seen is where one person may have full control and they're just putting the request and it happens. And then uh, the next thing you know, a bunch of money stolen, no one knows how it happened. Well, there was an account takeover on the email and a malicious actor pushed it through that person's uh, control and they were able to be successful with it. So this has become, it's become a cat and mouse game, right? And mm -hmm. there's more bad guys than good guys. Um, yes. Last question, last question I have for you, and I, I could talk to you for hours on this <laughs> and you, you've been terrific. I'd be happy to. I mean, it help one person prevent these things from happening to themselves. I, I'd be happy. You were a huge help to me and you, I just felt completely vulnerable and just, it, it's, it's just a horrible feeling. Um, how much worse in your opinion is this going to get? Um, there are more bad guys than good guys out there. Um, is this going to get a lot worse, um, in your opinion, in the next three to five years? I, well, I would say it is every, every day it's getting worse. The amount of attack, attacks are going up. And to be clear on cat and mouse, what I feel personally, just from being in the weeds on this for so long, it's more of a situation of us business folks not being even remotely privy or understanding of how the attackers are attacking. And the attackers are a persistent threat. 
they're constantly looking for the, the weakest link, new scams, new phishing scams, phone calls, robocalls, um, text messaging. It, it's just, it, it's endless. And, and what we've seen is just to set the stage, a little bit of data for folks on the, on the call is that it, according to IBM, Last year, it took 197 days, over six months, for the average corporation that was breached to detect it. And it took 69 days to contain the breach, which is, if you think about it, that's a long, that's a long time, right? So, but on the flip side, in the cybersecurity market, the number of new players creating tools and software and things like that and spending is also going up. So... I feel that there's an inherent problem of the time to detect a, a breach is extremely high. Uh, the time to fix it is extremely high, yet there are a ton of new providers coming into the space all the time, yet it doesn't seem to be painting a picture where the damages are going down or getting that much better. So I think it's more of going back to the basics. It's a mindset where cybersecurity becomes just part of doing business. It's something that maybe before only IT really knew what it was, but now everyone knows what it is and should. Accounting people, uh, people in finance, uh, the C-suite specifically because they're targeted a lot just for known reasons, extortion, they have access, you know, high influence. Um, and just making it part of doing business versus being like a separate tower in the company. And I think if it becomes part of the culture, and then, of course, mixed with proper strategy and tool sets, um, we will be able to better defend ourselves. But in closing, to, to answer, it really is that the attacks that, that we see every day from the email account takeovers, wire fraud, all of these things are not coming from super complicated threats. It's just that the target is so easy to trick and to take from that it's easy pickings for the attacker. But we can put those simple things that we talked about today in place to make it very difficult for them to, to execute and be successful. And you said one very scary thing on this call, the fact that you feel that if I gave you, you know, it, you can hack into almost any family office if given enough time. And, and that's really disconcerting. Um, if people on the call want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think that really just two places. One would be um, on uh, LinkedIn, of course. Um, feel free to reach out to me there. And then uh, you can contact me at my website, which is jeremiahbaker.com as well. And I'd be glad to to help anyone that I can, because really my goal, and this is a passion for me, um, just from seeing things happen to my clients, to my, you know, really good friends uh, and, you know, the people I don't even know, I just want to help people better arm themselves to prevent cybercrime from happening to them and to their family. So I'd, I'd be happy to help if folks have questions or anything like that. Um, feel free to reach out and, and I'll do my best to support you. And if they want to call you, contact you directly, what's your email address? Uh, sure. It's just jbaker at jeremiahbaker.com. Uh, my team and I also created a free guide. It's a cybersecurity checklist that I believe your listeners will find useful. Uh, you can get it by visiting jeremiahbaker.com and in the top navigation, you'll see a link uh, menu item free guide, or you can email me at jbaker at jeremiahbaker.com and I'll gladly send it to you. All right, Jeremiah, this has been terrific. Fortunately for you, but unfortunately for the world, this is a growing business and it's going to, it looks like it's going to 
grow a lot more. Um, but you've added some tremendous insights to this. So thank you very much for the call, uh, for being on the call. And you've been terrific. And i talk to you soon. Thank you, Ron. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us on Family Office World. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, rate it five stars and leave a review. Join us again next time for another episode of Family Office World. Thank you and have a great week.